Episode 332, WandaVision, Episodes 1 and 2. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hello, welcome to another episode of Welcome to Level 7. It's me, Ben. Ben Avery. But I'm not alone. Of course I'm not alone. Why would I be doing this alone? Because, well, I guess I have done that before, and it hasn't been <laughs> terrible, but it's always better when the, when I'm not alone. <laughs> I'm not alone. And you did a fine job. You really did. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not just being, you know, facetious. <laughs> you well, did a fine job. <laughs> thank you. That voice you just heard was Samantha... Just Hello. reinforcing and encouraging. The voice you did not hear reinforcing and encouraging was Stuart. <laughs> wah, wah. Wah, wah. I, I, I guess I'm, yeah, I should have reinforced and encouraged you, Ben. Yeah, that voice Here, you just heard you on the head. There sounded you really, really put on the spot was Stuart. <laughs> so. Yes, I, I'm in the uh, the furthest west of Michigan I can possibly be in right now. Ooh, over in the, the top. Top left corner of the UP? The top left corner of the UP. Nice. Nice. So, here it is. The new show. This is not just the new show. This is the first opening of Phase 4. Yeah. Yeah. This is good. And uh, it's interesting because I'm... What I'm seeing on my my Facebook feeds about this has been very, very lackluster. I'm seeing people say, oh, this is boring. And I'm seeing people say, oh, no one's talking about this. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what? Wait, hold on just a minute because I'm seeing something very different than you guys are seeing, I guess. But I'm seeing a lot of people go, well, why isn't it? I mean, what I'm thinking is – they're not used to the whole uh, MCU TV aspect of things because this is the first MCU show on Disney Plus, right? And so a lot of people didn't watch, um, you know, Daredevil or whatever. And so they're wanting a movie with an end credit. I saw a lot of people go, seven minutes for credits. Oh, my. I had to watch them all to find the end credit. And there wasn't one and all that sort of stuff. So. Um, it's going to be interesting to see the same if the if the reaction is the same at the end of however many episodes there are nine right it's supposed to be nine yeah yeah and so let's start there let's start with what they gave us when you sat down to watch because what they gave us when you sat down to watch was not one episode two episodes. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, two episodes. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. This was the first surprise. We're jumping in too quickly. We need to make sure for anyone who's joining us new because we're starting this WandaVision stuff and you did a search for WandaVision. Yeah. You might be joining us brand new. And so here's the deal. Welcome to Level 7. It's a podcast about all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There are some corners of the Marvel Cinematic Universe we have not covered yet individually. Netflix. Basically, it's Netflix. <laughs> Sorry, yes, I And have, a little bit of Hulu. A little bit of Hulu, but um, 
here's the deal. If we have talked about it on the show, then we will talk about it uh, potentially here. And that's going to include possibly for this talking about Endgame, talking about Infinity War, um, and and talking about those Marvel movies that have have been out. So if you haven't seen them, please be aware that we will be talking about them without any kind of spoiler warning other than what I'm giving right now. Uh, anything we have not talked about on this podcast is probably not going to matter too much uh, as far as our spoiler warning goes because we're not going to talk about them because we're not going to talk about them. So that means like Daredevil Season 3. We haven't, we haven't touched on that yet. Uh, but we also are just very careful. We do not di- dive into spoilers. We will dive into speculation for this because I don't think we can talk about WandaVision without speculating about what is going on in these two episodes. But they will not be speculation based on spoilers, not based on special knowledge. It's based on we're watching and we're asking ourselves, what, what's going on here? <laughs> and trying to figure out along with you what's going on. So so there's that. Um, this podcast, you know, if you're just joining us right now, there's episodes about every one of the Marvel Cinematic movies. And so you can go back and listen to the Endgame episode and listen to the uh, the. the Infinity War Infinity episode War. and and um, Civil War and, and all of those things. They are in our back catalog. Um, but if you're joining us just now, welcome. And if you've been with us for a long time, welcome as well. Because it's nice to see you, neighbor. And <laughs> it's good to have Marvel TV back on TV. Yeah, yeah. So back to this then. They gave us two episodes. I wasn't expecting that. However, after watching the two episodes, I'm thinking to myself, I think I get why. And that's because, and this is why I wanted to make sure we got the spoiler policy out of the way. We're spoiling this show. They jumped to color at the end of this. I have a feeling that there might have been a revolt of, uh, you know, people going out and saying, WandaVision, black and white, why would they do this? And then the next episode comes out next week. And it's like, mm-hmm. Again? Wait, what's going on? So this is kind of, I think, giving hope. We're going to be in color next week. Also, these were very short episodes. And so together we get like basically the length of what would be or potentially could be uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode. But, but very short. They're the same amount of time as the Mandalorian episodes. And we're going to have to talk, talk about the Mandalorian a lot because I – First off, it's, you know, the first Disney original, Disney Plus original on Disney Plus, right? And so this is following. Plus, it's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. But this is also following in those footsteps. So to draw comparisons to that, and I don't think we're going to get into any sort of character content. No, no, we will not spoil or talk about like that certain plot twist or that certain thing or that certain other thing or things in the Mandalorian. We're not going to do that. Are so. you talking about when Jar Jar Binks shows up in the Mandalorian, Ben? I know uh, that's your I'll favorite you. part. <laughs> Stuart, I got to say, if Jar Jar Binks showed up in the Mandalorian, I'd be all for it. I would too. I'm just saying. Just okay. the but fact anyway. that they actually went there. I'm with them. Right. <laughs> let's but this is let's not, do it. This is not a Star Wars podcast. It so, is not. And uh, also that was a fake spoiler. Jar Jar Binks does not show up. If you have not watched the Mandalorian yet, do not worry. It's just awesome all the way around. Yeah. 
mostly. Right. And so and so what I was expecting for the first MCU show to be on Disney Plus was something that was amazing, like The Mandalorian, right? But I think we have to concede a point here. This was the first MCU show on Disney Plus. It's also was it also wasn't supposed to be. No. It was supposed to be the third uh phase four title and the second, right? The second of, Disney Plus original series, yeah. For the MCU. The first one was supposed to be Falcon Winter Soldier, which I have a feeling is gonna be more you know, uh, traditional is maybe a <laughs> yeah. is maybe a way to say that. I um, I did hear someone talking about it saying there's no fights. It's supposed to be a superhero show yeah. and there's no fights. You know, and the other funny thing that happened is I watched this uh, Friday evening with my older kids. My younger son hasn't seen all the MCU movies, and so we're just like, you know, we're just waiting until he goes to bed, and then I'll watch it with my other four kids and and after he's gone to bed. And he didn't feel too bad about it because he hasn't seen – he doesn't know these characters very well. And so no big deal for him. He got done reading his book, and it was about time for him to turn off his lights, and he comes downstairs to, to put his book away, I think partially just to have an excuse to walk through the room, and he looks at the screen and just goes – I thought you were watching WandaVision. <laughs> like, well, we are. Isn't that a Marvel show? Yeah, it is. Because he, he's walked through the room before after he's gone to bed, and I'm watching The Twilight Zone with my kids. You know, <laughs> or um, you know, we watch black and white stuff uh, on purpose in, in our house. And so for him to walk through the room and see black and white, no big deal. But for him to walk through the room and see black and white, and it's not full screen. You may not have noticed this, depending on how yeah. you're watching it. Mm-hmm. But... um. There's the bars of black on either side. This is in 4-3 ratio, which is that old television ratio. And so I don't think he necessarily noticed that, but he's looking at something and realizes this does not look like anything that I've I've seen before. Mind you, this is not the first black and white Marvel television that we've seen. If you remember correctly, I don't remember the episode oh, yeah, number, was, but Agents of Shield. Yeah, there was that episode of Agents of Shield. Yeah, yeah they had that. Uh, they had that noir episode that was all shot in black and white until you got to the ending, and yeah, and it, it was awesome. It was so awesome, so awesome. And in fact, this kind of reminds me of that with the way they're, especially that last season where they're playing yep. with style, they're playing with, um, you know time frame and all of that so that's i that's a good catch so yeah i was also thinking about that because that this whole last season was jumping from time frame to time frame and then playing with the style of each of those time frames and so then you have people saying this isn't what i'm used to and i'm just thinking ah watch march watch agents of shield it's on netflix it's there you can watch the whole thing um although we've had conversations about is it mcu or is it Prime Universe anymore? Uh, is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Does Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. matter? And, of course, my answer is, of course, yes. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast. That's a big reason why I got in so deep with Marvel Cinematic Universe. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. matters. How does it fit in? We'll find out when we see Loki, maybe, or something. <laughs> but... Well, but but to your point, and, and we've talked about this offline, is that um, to the public eye, the MCU 
to the broad public, the MCU is the 23 movies that came out in the theater, right? None of the none of the stuff. I mean, like to us, of course it is, but you know the Netflix stuff, Agents of Shield, um, you know uh, uh, the Hulu stuff. That's like MCU adjacent to to, to what some. I would say to some yeah. to to a larger quantity of people than than the we. Yeah, I guess I was, is what I'm trying to say. I was thinking about this when I was thinking about gatekeepers. Uh, actually, today, uh, not in the sense of Marvel, they weren't. The conversation wasn't about fandom; it was about actually podcasting and and podcasting gatekeepers. People saying you shouldn't be podcasting because you're not professional, that kind of thing. And it's really oh. interesting these kind of subgroups that that are out there. But as I was thinking about that, I got thinking about gatekeepers of fandoms, and and how you really can't say. What kind of fan are you? Are you a true fan or are you a fake fan or that kind of thing? But you can say what kind of fan are you when it comes to like these different, um, you know, franchises and stuff like that. So as a Star Trek fan, um, I like it all, you know, but then you have fans who are like, I don't like anything new and I, but I love the old stuff. And, but you also have people I would assume who are new to the franchise saying, oh, the old stuff is a little hard to watch. And so when you say, what kind of fan are you? In the proper sense that I'm I'm talking about, which okay, maybe it's not proper, but it's proper for me. Uh, it, the question is, what do you like? You know, what kind of nerd are you? What are you into? You know, and with this, with the MCU, you can say, what kind of fan are you? You can, and you have people who would say, well, I'm a fan of the movies. I love all the movies, and so I go and see all the movies. But I'm not watching ABC every week, you know, to see Agents of Shield because for whatever reason, I don't like it. I don't have time, that kind of thing. There'd also be people who are like, I see all the movies and I had Netflix and I love the Netflix series. And so you have these different layers of fans. I wouldn't even say levels of fans, but layers of fans. Or maybe the fans have layers of fandom on them. And for a lot of people, I think you're right, Stuart, this layer of fandom is the first time that Marvel TV has really engaged intentionally that film fan layer since the opening of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where lots of people tuned in to that first few episodes, that first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., because they were told, hashtag is all connected, it all matters, you know, that kind of thing. And so yeah, as they jumped in and then kind of, or maybe didn't even jump in, dipped their toes in, said, it's not for me. And so this is, I think, yeah, I think you're right. This is one of the first big things that's different, um, but that is is bringing in people who are just kind of on that movie side, who are also now saying, "Hey, I want to watch. I want to watch this TV side," and well, and this is directly tied yeah, I mean, to the movie side in a way that Agents of Shield never was, in a way that absolutely Netflix never was, and well, but it's also in a way never that was. wasn't. <laughs> It, well, yeah, it, it's in a way that wasn't technologically viable. At and you know, at, maybe it was, was technologically viable, but the the medium wasn't there yet. I mean, you got to remember, Agents of Shield was eight years ago. Yeah, yeah, and it also it was pretty big because Agents of Shield came in at the end of kind of network television's opportunity that they had to go big. You know, with those mm -hmm. shows and then those shows would kind of drop off. I mean, there's so many of those shows that were trying to capitalize on Lost 
and do that long-term storytelling that just fell apart at the end of season one. Uh, Alcatraz. Do you remember that show? Mm -mm. I was so into that show. I was so excited about that show. It lasted a season and then dropped away. Revolution. Remember Revolution? Revolution is another one. I didn't quite get into that one, and then I was glad. Why? Season one, and then we're done. Um, I think they had had a season and a half. uh, Jericho. Yeah? Jericho. They had two seasons, and then um, everyone sent nuts to the – to the producers and they got like a half seat, half third season out. And even that didn't end with a satisfactory ending. Like even that felt like, wait, you knew this was all you were going to get. And you still kind of ended a little bit on a cliffhanger. Wait, what are you, what are you doing? And they ended it in a comic right. book, I think, or something like that. But and yeah, then there so was television change though, because yeah, agents of shield comes in at the tail end of that, but also at the very beginning of the Netflix stuff, you know, the mm-hmm. prestige, miniseries where you're getting you're sitting down and you're you're binging on a seven hour movie or whatever it might be eight hour nine hour movie and yeah so now we're at this place where they've settled in and and have felt and figured out hey what's this feel like what's this work like how does this do it but it's and it's allowed the content creators specifically Kevin Feige and the MCU to bring big television, big movie atmosphere stuff to big television. Right. (laughs) So you have these characters who originated on the big screen coming to your small screen. So we have the small screen episodes here, two of them. And they're all done so lo-fi, it cracked me up when there was seven minutes of credits. Because right. <laughs> these two episodes, I'm assuming we're going to get bigger toward the end, where they need, you know, 50 computer programmers or whatever it might be. But um, <laughs> seven minutes of credits, like, that's crazy. Uh, now, part of that is because um, Disney Plus has long credits anyway, because they've got to do all the foreign language that's true. Um, That's true. Voices. But even then, there was a lot of names at the end of the episode. So that two minutes, though, of the Marvel Cinematic style end credits mm-hmm. on both of those episodes, well worth watching. Well worth watching. And then the rest, you're just getting some good music that fits along with the with the episode <laughs> as you're watching these names go by very tiny on your TV screen, depending on your TV <laughs> screen, of course. So uh, do you know what the budget was for the average budget was for each episode? I do not know the number. I know this is the most expensive television episodes ever made. About twenty five million dollars. And it's for each episode. Yes. Okay, so that's taking their entire budget and then dividing it by nine. Uh huh. So I wouldn't say that we saw twenty five million dollars on the screen in these two episodes. No, that's what it said in the in the IMDb trivia, which, by the way, people, if you do not want to be spoiled, do not look at the IMDb yeah. trivia because I am so spoiled right now and I'm trying to make sure I don't spoil anyone. But but I did read through because there were actually all these really interesting nuggets like like that. And it said twenty five million per episode, not for the entire series per episode. Right. But what I'm saying is like multiply that by nine. 
and that's the entire yeah. series budget. I'm pretty sure we did not see $25 million on the screen in these two episodes. Yeah. Because, no. I, like I said, this is lo-fi. And this is the epitome of Stargate, you know, doing a bottle episode so they could save up their money and just have the huge giant battle in the, the season finale or whatever it might be. I have a feeling we're mm -hmm. just building up to something much, much bigger than what we're getting in these episodes. Because yeah. there's going to be a lot of people disappointed if they don't build. <laughs> yeah. Well, but they are, I mean, they are building. And what's it really interesting, and, and we'll get to it when we start talking about these two episodes, um, is that the one builds on, the second one builds on what happened in the first one. Yeah. Now, I'm really, really curious how this is all going to work out as far as the scheduling of things. Does this mean we might have other weeks where we get two episodes? Since it's an odd number of episodes, clearly not every week is going to have two. Uh, I'm wondering if we're just going to have one episode next week. And if this is similar to, hey, it's the season premiere of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever, you mm -hmm. know, where they actually put two episodes on at the same time. Which if you look at our back catalog of episodes, you'll see many seasons where two episodes launched and we just did one episode to cover both of them um, like we're doing today where we're taking episode one and episode two and, and talking about both of them. And so I don't know, should we, are we ready to jump into the episodes? Have we done enough preamble? Is there anything else about just outside of the episodes, outside of what we saw on the screen that you guys would like to talk about? I'm ready to go. All right. I, yeah. I, I think let's go. Okay. All right. So let's start with episode one. I'm sure the conversation will bleed from one to the other, uh, although it will be made much easier because they are definitely their own story. Episode one, episode two, it's not like uh, it's, it's to be continued and then you just jump right into the next scene. There is definitely two different stories going on, and I'm curious if they're going to keep that style for the entire series. But Well, so it's almost like a history of television class because the first episode is very clearly fifties television. You got life of Riley. You've got the Donna Reed show. You've got the Dick Van Dyke show. You've... My three sons. I mean, all Not my three exactly. sons. Um, because there actually is a, as far as writing goes, a style division between the fifties and the early sixties. Whereas the 50s was very clean, you know, Ozzy and Harriet. Um, but you get into the 60s, and um, I think actually it started with the Dick Van Dyke show. It may have been a little bit earlier, but in 1961. But with the Dick Van Dyke show, that's when you got Leonard Sherman starting to do his stuff. And there were a lot of double entendres that would have been very taboo in the 50s. I would say that this and, episode is very much about that Dick Van Dyke styling. Um, yeah, where it, it had a huge influence on it for sure. Well, I mean, the set design. I mean, we can even start there. Mm -hmm. The set design is meant to evoke the Dick Van Dyke show. There's the front door mm -hmm. that has that step. <laughs> and, you know, there's the the furniture is arranged in such a way that I really felt a little a, a lot of deja vu as I'm looking at that set and thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, this is. I mean, it's been, well, I shouldn't say it's been years. It's been a year since I've seen an episode of the Dick Van Dyke show because I did show my kids the episode where um, Mary Tyler Moore 
has the dream. Uh, no, Dick Van Dyke has the dream about the walnut aliens, which if you've never seen that episode, it is fantastic. Wonderful, wonderful episode that they're able to cut loose a little bit because it's a dream and go into the fantasy realm where it's almost like a, a comedy Twilight Zone episode. Um, but definitely Dick Van Dyke is is kind of the model for this 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 episode here from the opening credits to the, where he's carrying uh, Wanda in the opening credits through the room. And instead of stumbling over the stool or skipping to the side and not stumbling over the stool as Dick Van Dyke did in their opening credits, um, he just walks through the chair <laughs> and uh, and it just was a nice little nod to what was going on. And the, I heard they actually uh, consulted with Dick Van Dyke about yes. about the uh, the whole idea of shooting a sitcom. And they used a live television audience for a lot of it. And a lot of what they did on the set in that episode were things that could only be done in front of a live studio audience. So the magic stuff is all hanging on strings and looks like it's hanging on strings. And I think there's only one bit where if you're watching it, they couldn't have done on live television. And that's when vision reaches his hand into Mr. Hart's chest. Mm -hmm. That bit probably would not have worked in front of a live studio audience in 1962. Right. Well, that moment was kind of, it it was very surreal anyways. Right. We're pulled out of it. We're pulled out of the TV Mm -hmm. feel. Yeah. Not only are we pulled out of it, Wanda is too, because right up until that moment, she's got that quippy, I, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's that high-pitched, nasally, quick-talking Catherine Hepburn, uh, Mary Tyler Catherine Moore, Janeway, Mary mm-hmm. Tyler Moore, all of these like, you know, New Yorky type of women, I guess. Maybe I'm not I'm not sure if that's the right term. But anyway, it's that it's that high pitched, very quick talking thing. Voice, timber of their voice. And then when um Deborah Jo Rupp is is the wife is saying, Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. It's almost like that's a loop, right? And so then Wanda, not Ash um what's her name? The Wanda? the character the character who's play the lady who plays Wanda, what's her name? Oh, Elizabeth Olsen. Not, not Elizabeth Olsen, but Wanda goes, she, it's almost like she stops and then realizes what's happening and then says, Vision, you know, fix it, help him. So her character changes at that moment. And that's a huge, it's, it's huge. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. And it's the whole thing, the whole show kind of stops in its tracks. There's no laugh track. You've got, you know, this tension feeling. And then then Mr. Hart stands up. Well, it's time we'd be going. And the laugh track kicks in and we're back into Mm -hmm. it. And just there's so much going on that's so subtle. And that's one of the problems and also one of the strengths of what we're looking at here. Because I think people are waiting for a Marvel Cinematic Universe show Granted, we had one all summer last year, so it's it was there. It was there for you. We didn't have any movies, but we did have MCU. We did, but um, but it wasn't on Disney Plus. It wasn't, and it was on live television, and mm-hmm. it was a very different thing, you know. And talk about the history of television. 
Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. right there was a part of an older part of television history, which was live <laughs> television, appointment television. Um, but anyway, we get right back into it. We have that uh, Mr. Hart is just going back and the laugh track kicks in and all the jokes start back in and it's a subtle climax. The climax of this episode is that not everything is as it seems. Obviously, not everything was as it seems, but that's the climax. That's the big battle. You know, like if you're talking about three act structure, this is the big climax at the end of this story. And I think the subtlety is, I'm not going to say it was lost on people other than to say it's not what they were expecting and maybe not what they were wanting. And, and therefore and... lost on them because they weren't, ho they weren't hoping for a character driven moment of tension. And that's our climax. And to be fair, I had to watch it. I mean, I've watched that episode three times since Friday, four times, no, three times. Anyway, I've watched it a bunch and I didn't get it until the last, right this last moment when I watched it this last time. So it's. So slow burn. Yeah. Slow burn is a, is the phrase. And I think people who are wanting it to be bigger Marvel cinematic universe stuff, I think it'd be better for them to wait so they can watch it all together. And then it's not just, I get one hour of slow burn or 45 minutes or whatever of slow burn. Instead, they can get 45 minutes of slow burn that just continues on into, you know, hour three and hour four. And they get the long movie instead of these broken up chunks of, of TV show. But then there's some people who just can't wait. And we are one of those or three of those. I can't count either. Uh, so anything else from episode one? Well, yeah. I mean, let's talk about the plot. I mean, we didn't even talk about specifics of the plot, but this is your classic, classic sitcom uh, event. There's something on the calendar. It's just a heart. And the question is, what does it mean? And the jokes are all about Vision saying, I can't remember, but I never forget anything. And that is kind of the starting of, for me anyway, okay, things aren't what they seem. Because he's right, but why is that heart there? And why do neither of them remember? And was this, did they step into this world fully formed where that heart was already on the calendar, but they weren't ready, they weren't there for it? Neither of them can remember. Turns out it is actually an abbreviation for Mr. and Mrs. Hart, Vision's boss at work. They're coming over for dinner. And that also brings out some great gags with the guy who got fired because his dinner wasn't good enough because it was only five, it was five courses. And then the music act that he, you know, the entertainment was a, a string quartet, a live string quartet. And he, he settled in with I'm his willing to oh, go ahead. I'm willing to bet that the thing that pushed him over the edge was his choice of uh, dinnerware. Yes, which is the beatnik dinner where I wore a yes. turtleneck and then he's out the door with his box of stuff from his desk. Because at one point, the um, Mr. Hart says, uh, we don't break bread with Bolsheviks. 
<laughs> that's when he finds out that Wanda's European, even right. though she has the the American accent, right? And Vision has the British accent, but yeah, she's she's European. Um, and so you get all sorts of the the mishaps and misunderstandings, and they both think they figured out why there's a heart on the calendar, and so she's planning a romantic dinner, and then he says he's nervous, but we gotta please the please the wife, and then and then Wanda says no, we gotta take care of the husband and they both think they're on the same page classic i mean the fact that they wrote this so well to mimic that so well just really wonderful beautiful i loved it it reminds me of that movie with um renee zellweger and uh obi-wan kenobi i forget the name of it ewan mcgregor Oh my gosh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, down with love. Down with love. It reminds me of Down with Love. But again, th- this is—you can tell that there is work behind this. It's not just, um, oh, let's mimic the you know the Dick Van Dyke show. It's we're going to do this as part of a bigger picture, a bigger a bigger setting. Uh, so then you also have, with all this going on, you have this, this through line of, what do we do at work? You know, and, and Vision, you can tell Vision's trying to figure out, there's something a little bit off. What do we what do we do here? Well, we compute stuff, you know, and, and what, are our, what are our spreadsheets for to track our input and our output? And it's just this very basic thing. Now, Dick Van Dyke had a very... Um, well thought out and well developed uh, workplace scenario that allowed them for a lot of uh, opportunity to do musical numbers and stuff like that. They where he worked at a, a for a TV show, a variety show. So that's not quite Dick Van Dyke, but I really love the choice of occupation for um, Vision, though a computer, because back in the day and. People used to be a computer as an occupation, um, but now we have devices for that. Um, and uh, I had someone ask me the other day, "Well, why don't we have a? a why is there um, no more drafts in the military? Well, one uh, certain acts of Congress has to ha- have to enact it, but the other is um, um, that some of the jobs that used to be in the military, they no longer exist. Um, my step-grandfather in the World War II, his occupation in the, in the Army was a computer. Now they probably just take a tablet out into the field um, to make sure that, you know, the, the missiles are going to be in the right place. But, yeah, that was uh, Grandpa John's job was to do the math, do the calculus to make sure that those missiles got to the right spot. And they do get some good gags in with that because yes. the whole idea of him first of all he's he's a robot but nobody knows that he is you know and so there's that conceit that kind of that bleeds over i think is and is going to be a part of every single episode um and he's you know doing the super fast typing like superman used to do in the superman show um and then <laughs> the guy says you're just a a regular old computer and he's like i most certainly am not i'm as I'm a carbon-based life form, just like you. And so they got some good gags in like that too. And that's our sitcom premise. You know, it's, it's Scarlet Witch and Vision. She has magic. 
he's a robot and the neighborhood can't know. Classic. So anything else here um, with this first episode? So a couple of things. He does have the Mind Stone. So when he's in his uh, vision makeup without being Paul Bettany, um, he does have the Mind Stone in his in his forehead, and that's a good thing. So that kind of tells us this might be before Infinity War. No, that's a, that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I'm um, not sure if that tells us anything or if it doesn't. I mean, that's the whole thing is there's so much mystery in this. Mm-hmm. So much mystery. You want to talk about the commercial? Ooh, let's talk about the commercial. This one was for Stark Industries. The Toastmaster 2000. Toastmaster Toastmate. The, uh... Oh. I thought it was Toastmate, because I wrote it down as soon as I saw it. Oh. Okay. All I know is it makes open open face cheese sandwiches. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That guy... The, the the actor who's presenting looks like um, Peter Laurie to me. Is not because Peter Laurie's dead. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I've seen Arsenic and Old Lace how many times, right? And he looks like Peter Laurie to me. Uh, it's Stark Industries, but the other thing that this commercial does is this is the one bit of color. Is the blinking there was red color light. in that? Yep. The blinking red light. The blinking light on there is red. I did not catch that. So that's real interesting, especially when I can contrast that to what happens in the next episode. And every bit of color that we see so far until they go full color has been red. And there's some yellow, like in the, the drone helicopter that, that she finds mm-hmm. in, the, in the next episode. There's some yellow in that. But. So before we leave the first episode, um, so I did a little bit of Googling to uh, the credits at the end, not the show credits, but the show credits. Um, so there's Babs Digsby. That's a character. It's a, an amalgamation of characters from The Life of Riley, which is a famous 50s sitcom. Um, and Abe Brown. Now, what's interesting about Abe Brown is is that okay so if you remember spider-man homecoming the debate team co-chair with uh mary jane watson was a little boy his name is abe brown are they connected i don't know but that's what the google turned up so What's interesting about that bit, though, because that's when we see that someone is watching this on a monitor screen. Uh-huh. And, and so, yeah, those names might become more important later on. And who, who knows? I mean, that debate team person that was in Homecoming. Mm-hmm. So, snap. yeah, so that kid, if he didn't get snapped away. I don't remember if he did or not, if he showed up in um, Far From Home, but he may not be a kid anymore, depending right. on the timeline here. So did you notice all of the um, logos around that person watching? 
all of them? No, I I just noticed the sword logo. That's the that's the one. Okay, okay. they do re- they do their um they get their office uh stationery from the same place that does the Hydra stationery. So yeah. their logo is all over the place. And the shield stationery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 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 it's a sword. Um, what Ben? I don't know what sword is. What is sword? Well, sword and shield. Uh, go hand in hand. Uh, Shield obviously is our super spies, and even in the Marvel comics, this their super spy kind of thing. But it's generally speaking, it's it's Earth, you know, and it's strategic homeland initiative kind of stuff. Sword is more about going out. So if Shield is protecting, Sword is more about going out, and and it's space based. And a lot of people are thinking that. Uh, Nick Fury being out in space, that he's sword. I don't remember seeing any sword logos on anything around Nick Fury when we saw him in space. But for for this, I I don't know if if maybe sword is just meant to be the shield replacement, and that um, our characters, our friends who were part of Shield, maybe they're just in another universe or timeline, or Maybe it's like what they did after Shield fell, and then they brought Shield back. But the whole idea was Shield had to be secret and and stay in the shadows, and and maybe Sword has become the, I don't know, the the visible um, super spies or something like that. I don't know, but yeah, that logo um, definitely goes into the that idea that they had from the Marvel comics, which is this kind of more space based, more offensive. Um, line of defense because you know a sword can be used for offense and for defense true yeah you can also use it as a shield to like block another sword yeah yeah is it a is it a suit of armor around the earth (laughs) (laughs) well speaking of armor um well sort of um (laughs) so (laughs) it's about vision uh, versus Wanda. Okay. Um, I think I'm thinking this is post snap, and I don't think I think Wanda is in some sort of construct like the fit framework, or maybe in an alternate universe where she's thrown over there. And the vision in this universe is a part of her imagination. Um, because I noticed that in this episode and in the next one, every time there was sort of that breaking of the shell of whatever she's in, it's it's towards her. It's never towards Vision. It's her that's taking initiative with that. Right. But here's yes. the other interesting thing. Um, you say post-snap. Uh, did you see how she did a lot of her magic? She did kind mm-hmm. of a I Dream of genie kind of movement with her arms, but she also included a snap. Ah, yes. So that's she did. that's interesting. And then also some of her power stuff that she was doing is related to Infinity Stones as far as you – know, this is episode two, but where she runs time backwards. Um, Ooh, yeah. And, and so I, there's some interesting little tidbits there where if this is her imagination, it totally makes sense that she'd be incorporating things like the snap – and things like powers that are similar to, you know, Infinity Stone powers. Um, the question I have is, is this something she has created? 
or is this something that's been created to hold her or keep her like a framework kind of situation Mm -hmm. or is this a an escape kind of situation because you know what we all escape into we escape into television yeah you know Mm -hmm. and is this a literal example of escaping into television well if you think about it she uh she and quicksilver were sort of thrown into like prison right in an ultron and so you know it's very possible that the guard who was watching them had on you know the uhf television and they were watching some old old shows well, then if you also think about like when they would have been growing up and the time they would have been growing up, because a lot of what we saw in these two episodes took me back, took me back mm-hmm. to sitting in my my grandparents television room and because they had more channels. Uh, they didn't have cable, but they had more channels available. And so um, took me back to sitting in their room. And that's just how we were past the time, you know, is watch these afternoon reruns and. And so I watched Dick Van Dyke and My Three Sons and My Favorite Martian and Gomer Pyle and um, Andy Griffith's show, you know, and I would watch these. And so this just – Leave it to Beaver. Leave it to Beaver. This (laughs) takes me back to that feeling that I had sitting in front of these just inane TV shows. But they were were funny enough, you know, to to laugh about, you know, and to watch. And um, and speaking of, this also reminds me – this is not just Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie where they're trying to hide the wife's powers, but it's also Mork and Mindy and My Favorite Martian and, um, you know, that kind of thing uh, where they're trying to hide, uh, you know, the identity of, of one of the characters as well. But mm-hmm. it, it took me back. And so I'm wondering how much of this is literally Wanda going back and escaping into this escapist entertainment but she knows something's off and vision if he is actually vision or vision if he is part of her imagination and but being a part of her team or whatever as far as being they're they're a team together in this place um also knows something is off personally i feel like vision is is not there and he's part of her consciousness so she's manifesting vision in any way that she you know in whatever in whatever reasoning that she is she's manifesting vision so can i tell you when i had i didn't cry all right this is not bill and ted face the music bill, this is not bill and ted three where i where you know it's so emotional that i'm gonna uh, but i did feel a lump in my throat at the end of this first episode when they are sitting down together and though she makes the rings appear and they're talking about how they didn't have this, you know, time to have their song. And so their song is going to be yakety yak naturally. And they didn't have time to have uh, an anniversary. They didn't have time to get married. And so she makes the rings appear. And as I'm watching that, especially when the rings appeared, I'm like, this is what they wanted to have, and this was what was denied them, and this is what she was saying when she confronted Thanos and said he took everything from her. Mm-hmm. She's talking about that, and mm-hmm. here she is getting that. So here she is getting the life that she never got to have with Vision. I shouldn't say never because they did have some good times together. 
and and we got to see a, a few of their good times together. But stolen moments. This is what was stolen <laughs> from them, mm-hmm. and I I when I when when that was happening, it, I was surprised how emotionally affected I was, because honestly, when I was tracking their relationship in the movies, it really wasn't something that's that stuck with me. It wasn't something that I really latched onto because they were minor characters in ensemble pieces. Mm-hmm. But when it happened here and you just spent an, uh, well, 20 minutes with them. Okay. <laughs> um, and they sit down and have this moment together. And I realize this might not be real. This might be her going uh, to, to quote little shop of horrors somewhere that's green. You know, this is <laughs> this is her getting that life that she was never allowed to have because Strucker stole her childhood or whatever, you know, and because Thanos stole her vision and because Ultron stole her brother. Now, she had all these things taken away from her and now she's finally able to sit down, have this moment together, and then they put their heads together and their faces are just blank until the music kicks in and we get the um, I Love Lucy pillow <laughs> in the background of the, the little box that's that's growing on or shrinking on them. And then they smile and it's this fake sitcom smile. And it was a really affecting moment for me. Um, yeah, so I, I was on. I was in full, like this is, the, it drew me in, kept me and gave me an emotional moment reaction um oh ben avery is a romantic after all why do i have to prove this like this is something because that... <laughs> it's fun because daniel when he was yeah <laughs> okay listeners if you don't understand that reference go back and listen well, be, i mean you're, you're going back and listening to a lot but basically daniel yeah. butcher who was my co-host and co-creator of this podcast was also sometimes a lying liar who lied about me, okay? And uh, and Stuart and Samantha have latched onto that. So, what? Anyway, I, what? <laughs> um, so so that was so touching, Ben. Um, I'm just gonna undercut it by saying the thing that I latched onto was the jump cut. If you make a TV show now, you could just digitally add the rings. You don't have to jump cut it. You don't have to to cut the camera, put the rings on, and put the camera back on. And that that happened in this episode. So not only are they, you know, making television sort of the way that it was back then, or at least to mimic it, they're using some of the techniques that they had to have used back in the day. And also the jump cut with the the makeup for Vision's head. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I adored the skill of the style of all the stuff that they were putting together. Also emotionally affected. Those are my final words on this first episode. I throw it over to you, uh, Samantha and Stuart, to make sure that we don't gloss past anything that you would like to cover before we move on to episode two. Okay. I, I have one thing. A big thing that we have been debating since we started talking about this after it premiered. Which is the bigger influence? Bewitched, I Dream of Jeannie, I Love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke Show, 
Dick Van Dyke show certainly was accredited influence um, from the producers, but they were not the main influences. And I found them. Okay. And it's more recent than you think. Okay. And they're movies. Pleasantville, which is a boy who escapes back into those 1950s and 60s style TV shows. And then the Truman Show, which is about a man who kind of grows up in this similar environment, but he doesn't realize that he's growing up on a set and everything is fake. I think that those two things are going to play out as we move forward. Yes. And and I think it's interesting because it's potentially a blend of both of those. Yeah. 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 And that is actually, oh, let me find the name of the producer. Um, but that is, it's in the IMDb trivia. Uh, so, you know, you'll have to go and watch it, look at for it later. <laughs> but it was uh, Matt Shackman who said it. And he cites that. It's the Truman Show and Pleasantville. And what's interesting is that Pleasantville and Truman Show have sort of like opposing storylines where one is trying to escape into a TV show and the other one's trying to escape out of it. Yeah, yeah. I I think style-wise, they're definitely, you're looking at the Dick Van Dyke and all that kind of thing. But story-wise, right, but of course, story-wise, fortunately yeah. for us, what you just said is not really a spoiler. You know, there, there's yes, definitely you can look at that and and say just from this episode, see, there's yeah. there's a, there's some sort of escapism going on. Uh, but you have to go past. You have to read through some of the uh, spoilers to get to that detail in the IMDb trivia. Well, I'm staying so, away from it. Yeah. So yeah. I can be pure, pure as glass that's been cleaned, <laughs> or something Good. like that. Yeah. Good. Oh, I also want to comment. You can tell that that uh, Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen are just loving the physical comedy, loving it. And I think it shows more in the next episode if we're ready to jump over there. I think we are so, as long as Stuart is. One Stuart. last thing on on episode one. I think I want a lobster door knocker. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely need a lobster thermidor. Yeah, that was Lego Lego Batman. Anyone? Okay, I guess not. Go go ahead. Not yeah. I mean, I like the movie and all, but yeah. Let's talk about episode oh, two. Look, episode... Downer Ben's back. <laughs> <laughs> so episode two is another classic kind of thing where they're just basically trying to hide this the powers. You know, this is Mork and Mindy where. Uh, Mindy is having to work hard to make sure nobody knows what Mork can do. This is um, one of the the Darrens, you know, worried about people finding out that Samantha's a witch. Uh, this is um, J.R. Ewing trying to protect uh, I Dream of Genie from from you know f- people finding out that she's actually a genie. Uh, but let's start with the opening credits, animated wonderfully beautifully mm-hmm. to ape the style of bewitched and i dream of genie of course i dream of genie was just a ripoff of bewitched as you can tell because they just ripped off the, the opening credits not a complete ripoff <laughs> but really really close <laughs> this was definitely mm-hmm. one of the I, I dream of genie is one of those things where they say hey you know that show bewitched that you really like guess what we're just like it so you'll like this too 
and it lasted. Both of these shows lasted, started in black and white, and ended in color. And Just like our episode. Yeah, that's one of the big connections, is this episode ends in color. And I don't know if that was intentional on their part, but they do so much that's intentional. For example, they bring the beds together. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the, the Petries in Dick Van Dyke have separate beds. I Love Lucy, Lucy and Ricardo separate beds bewitched is one of if not the first sitcom where the leads shared a bed and so beginning of this episode the beds come together that has to be a reference an intentional well wanda is also in european too i don't think there's any accidents in this show i don't mean i was i I think that's really just a commentary on, on how um the relationship between a man and a woman it was displayed in the bedroom. That that was how you know. And it's such a known. Yeah. It's such a known uh, bit of trivia from early television that that even if you don't necessarily know that it was bewitched that had the beds together or whatever, right? You do know that on TV in that time people slept in separate beds, and so for her to push the beds together and then magic them to one bed um, is a commentary on that is, is yeah, it's and, on, it, and it, it's speaking what, to that. And what happened at the end of the episode? Pregnant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. Uh, so I was watching this with somebody and uh, I said, Oh, is that Darren three? <laughs> hey, uh, another bit of trivia. Do you know the first time that a toilet was shown on TV? Leave it to see, Beaver. I, oh, I was going to say, I know it's the first time. I know when the first time was that they showed a toilet in a movie, but not. I couldn't remember. Yeah, what was the movie? Because I just read Psycho. This. Psycho, that's right. Yeah. Leave it to Beaver. They uh, had a, a little alligator or something or a turtle or something that they needed to um, put in water and hide. And so they weren't allowed to show the seat of the toilet, but they were able to put the, the animal in the tank of the toilet. And... <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. Oh, so now we have zombies on TV. You, you, you know, I, that sounds like something that could have happened in someone's house five minutes ago. It really does. <laughs> I mean, toilets haven't changed much since back then. No, not really. Mm-mm. I mean, you can't, you can't improve perfection. Although you can, because we have better plungers and things like that but anyway enough toilet talk talk. (laughs) enough toilet talk uh the opening cartoon opening animated credits has all these people uh from the show and so there's the guy with a mustache and there's um norm or whatever the guy's name was from work and there's their neighbor but not her husband we never see ralph which i don't know if that's going to be a ongoing gag there's the mailman Here's what I found interesting when I watched it the second time, because the first time you watch it through and they keep coming to a point where all these characters say for the children and it feels kind of zombie. Right. Children. Yeah. It uh, also when I watched the opening credits the second time, it almost felt a little bit zombie of these animated characters all saying WandaVision, WandaVision, WandaVision. And I don't know, it just felt I don't know, weird the second time I watched it. And I, I think it's because of that whole cultish feel to what they were saying about 
for the children, for the children, which we need to talk about that phrase mm -hmm. for the children before we finish this episode. What does it mean? Because I feel like there's a lot of different ways that that phrase, I, that phrase is important one way or another. It's important. Um, there's a lot of different or ways it could go. Or it's foreshadowing the fact that, that Wanda's pregnant. Which is one way that it could be important. That's yeah. one possibility. Another I... possibility is that this whole thing is happening so that she has a child. Because remember, she and Quicksilver were taken as children, as miracles. Um, is this something where this is like Hydra uprising? Of course, we've seen Hydra uprisings a lot if you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> but <laughs> but if you don't, this is brand new, you know? Um, because this episode's commercial is Strucker. The, the... With yeah. a Hydra logo on that watch. I know. What's that all about? I, they are They are stepping out. They're branding. I like it. It also could be fake. This could be from her mind. And then the phrase at the end is especially ominous. Strucker, he'll make time for you. Like, for the children. <laughs> well, is that saying that he'll literally make time? And it's for I... Wanda in this place? Is, is this traces of his influence on her? I mean, there's so many different ways this can all go. So many different mysterious things that they're bringing up. Lots of questions, not a lot of answers. So my favorite part of this episode was uh, seeing the vengeance demon Anya being portrayed <laughs> by Emma Caulfield. Emma Caulfield. She has a name, okay? Yeah, it's Anya. Okay, how do I know her, though? No, it's Emma, Ca did Emma you, Caulfield. Did you see Ford Buffy from... at all, Ben? Sort of. Yeah. I did. She, um, she was a demon turned mortal in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Anya in Buffy the Vampire yeah. Slayer. A N Y A. And what, you know, why do bunnies need such long ears? <laughs> Doesn't. Yeah. He's never I mean... seen it, Stuart. He's, he wouldn't. Yeah. Get I'm it. looking at her right now. Like, I just looked up Anya, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and. I kind of recognize her, but I mean, I'm, she's a working actress. So I'm sure you've seen her in something else, but I know her as Anya, the vengeance demon Emma from Caulfield. I know her from 90210. Uh, That's what I, know I her from. think I'd rather know her from Buffy. Just yeah. saying. Well, fine. You watch, you watch a lot of 90210 there, Ben? I did, yes. <laughs> so it looks like she was 90210 about the time that I was watching it. Yeah. That's, yeah. So uh, anyway, I also liked the thing that's really sticking out in my head is the mustache guy, right? He loses his job in the first episode, but then like in the second episode, it's not even – referenced or talked about he's just a guy in the it's almost like he's a a bit part player okay. right and he's got this look about him and they're just going to put him wherever they want to i think that they actually are just keeping all of these people and this is where it adds to this idea of you know are is this something she created and she's like pulled these people in because what's her name from the 70s show 
when she's saying, stop it, stop it, you mm-hmm. almost, okay, depending on where they're going with this, you almost feel like, is Scarlet Witch, is, is Wanda in charge of all of this? Did she create all of this? And is this, um, that 70s show mom saying, stop it to her, not saying, stop it as in the choking, but stop it as in this thing that we're stuck in. Um, because, and we'll talk about the radio thing, but going back to um, Susan from 90210 when she's talking to, <laughs> I didn't pull that name out of my out of my head. I, I pulled it from IMDb um, or Anya, if we if you want to go there. But um, when they're talking to each other and the radio comes on and says, and it's playing Help Me Rhonda. And I listened carefully the second time to see, did they change it to Help Me Wanda? They didn't. But um, Oh, they didn't? I, no. I thought they had. I don't. I don't think so. I didn't hear it anyway. I, when I was listening to it the first time, I was like, "Oh, it rhymes," and I was like, "I wonder if it really." So I'm watching it the second time and thinking, "Oh no, they didn't. They didn't do it." But maybe, maybe I just misheard it. That's the Beach Boys, right? Yep, yep. Um, Which trivia about that? Speaking of keeping someone (laughs) secret in a sitcom, uh, Rhonda was the name of Alf's girlfriend on Melmac. And when they aired that episode originally where they showed a flashback to Melmac where Alf is talking to his friends, they all tease by by singing Help Me Rhonda. And it's actually an important bit in the episode, but when you watch it on DVD, they couldn't get the rights to that song. So they cut that whole bit out and the episode does not make nearly as much sense because that, that scene's gone. So, but they all, yeah. Anyway, back to th- this I show. cannot wait for the Alf WandaVision crossover. It, it all fits together. I, I'm, are we going to get WandaVision <laughs> in the 80s? I really, really, really hope so. Um, I mean, it, it's on track to do that, right? Well, we'll see where we're going next as far as it, are we just getting color in the 60s or, or not? But... Well, okay. So if they did. So you guys talk. I'm going to do some math. Okay. Uh, so back to the radio as that song is playing, you hear the voice saying, Wanda, are you there? Wanda, who is doing this to you? Wanda, who's doing this to you? Wanda, are you there? Or whatever he's saying. And again, you're getting that impression that is she a prisoner? Has she created this? You know, it, what what's going on there? And, and then Anya from Buffy the Vampire Slayer or what's her name here? Dottie. Is that right? Dottie, yeah. I have Dottie. IMDb in front of me. Why didn't I just look? Yes, it's Dottie. Okay. So, <laughs> just don't look um, at the trivia. I'm not. I'm at, No, <laughs> this is her credits. I'm not on the WandaVision okay. page. I'm on her credit page. Okay. Um, but anyway, everything with her just feels really off too. And she's – it's very similar to what was happening with that 70s show lady where um, Dottie is just like, what is going on? This isn't right. What's going on? And then she snaps back in. Uh, as well, just like uh, Mr. Hart did when they pull the thing out of his chest um, and, and she snaps back into it. She becomes that alpha female. And of course, she cut her hand red on the screen. Mm-hmm. And then she has that little joke that I, I don't know if it was referencing like an old ad or something like that. But it's like, what does a housewife do when she needs to get a stain out of something white? She does it for herself. She was actually referencing a um, mid nineties movie called speed pop quiz hot shot. She, she did that. She did say (laughs) pop quiz. Yes. But, um, 
but the other parts were the part I was asking about. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, question I have for you guys the helicopter color scheme was red and yellow. Iron, Iron Man? It was definitely Iron Man color scheme. But yes. the logo wasn't Iron Man. Nope, it was. Wasn't wasn't Hydra. It wasn't was shield. a sword. It was sword, yeah. It yeah. was sword. Okay. Okay. Huh. So again, Iron Man is putting the suit of armor around the world. Hmm. Well, okay, but here's the other thing. We talked about I talked about three different people who stole stuff from Wanda. Thanos, who stole mm-hmm. Vision, Ultron, who stole Quicksilver. Um, what was the third one? <laughs> Strucker. Strucker, who stole her childhood, and Stark, who remember the bombs that fell when they were Took children. One of them didn't. Mm-hmm. One of them didn't blow up. And what was written on the side of it? Stark. Those weapons were built by Stark. So subconsciously. These could be all like things that she's sorting through and trying to work through, whether it's she's working through it because she's created this or whether she's working through it because someone else has created it and allowed her to take lead on what it's going to look like or whatever. So could the sword thing be colored red and gold because she's projecting Stark? Or could it be just because somewhere out there, there actually was a helicopter <laughs> that was red and gold that start that a sword is using? Not very inconspicuous if you're going to be like You know a... what's really good? What? Is that we had the previously on to tell us all those character notes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Because I would not have forgotten. Or I would, not, I would have forgotten. I would not have necessarily remembered <laughs> about Stark dropping the bombs. And yeah. Right. For sure. The children. Hey, did you do the I math, so. Stuart? What was the math you were going to do? Yeah, so, so, okay. So, there's nine episodes. And if you roughly say the first one was the 50s, right? The second one was roughly the 60s. The third one, and then, you know, third would be the 70s. Fourth would be the 80s. Fifth would be the 90s. Sixth would be the 2000s. Seventh would be the 2010s. And then you'd have an eight, nine, um, two-part finale yes Mm -hmm. or you could do the other math which is episode one is 61 episode two is bewitched and i dream of genie which i think is around 65 66 and when Mm -hmm. did color happen those late 60s i mean talk about shows that straddle an, an epoch in television history star trek the pilot black and white Mm -hmm. pilot um which then they ended up going color and having the bright uh, uniforms so that they could really make your color TV um, valuable. <laughs> like, you you want to see some awesome ads? Look up uh, both Shatner and Leonard Nimoy selling televisions for RCA. Those are fantastic. Oh, I'm making a note and going to go look at it after we get off. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Get here. Oh goodness! Also, watch them uh, um, do an ad selling plane tickets together. It's cheesy. It's cheesy eighties, but it's great. Uh, I mean, well, I just hope we get to the eighties, man. Ads. But yeah. oh, I, speaking of cheese, 
Um, looking over my, my notes, I noticed that there was a pattern with food. Okay. Um, so, um, in the beginning, the house is totally made up, ready to go, except there's no food in the kitchen. Um, and then the neighbor brings over the food, things don't go right, but at the dinner table, the boss chokes on some food when we see him eating. Um, so you go into the second episode, you see um, a vision, and he eats a piece of gum, and that gums up his works. And in both situations between the boss and vision, it's magicked out of them. I'm wondering if that's going to be a pattern we see throughout this series about food. Or if that's just a coincidence for the first two episodes. But I think that's something we need to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of guest stars, and and I didn't recognize her immediately. Who plays the 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 MC, the stage manager for that show? Okay. Uh, that could take us into spoiler territory. Yeah, let's save that for later. Um, because that is one spoiler I knew going into it because I knew who she was and who she is supposed to be. She is an important character in this show, though. Okay. So, yeah, I actually thought that was one of the spoilers you th- you had, had seen, Stuart, when you, you contacted us and said... I just saw some spoilers on IMDb that, or I just saw something on IMDb when I looked at the oh, cast that I didn't want to know. Yeah, I was trying to keep that out of the show. Well, I mean, you saw something. We don't want to talk about what it is, but let's see. What else do we have here to talk about with second episode? The plot is, again, classic. Basically, Vision gets drunk for the talent show, the community go- talent show, and uh, Wanda has to use her powers to keep things under control because he's going to reveal he is a robot who can fly and pass through things or pass things through him. And by the way, the gags that they use for all of that, first of all, it did feel classic bewitched classic. I dream of genie, uh, just hilarious though. Like mm-hmm. at first I didn't know what was going on. And then I re- I'm like, Oh, that's what's happening here. And it was just, it was so much fun. So much fun, especially when he passes the hat through himself and then she opens curtains on the stage to show a bunch of mirrors. And it's like, that's how we did it. We used mirrors, even though you couldn't see the mirrors behind right. a curtain. And they and, weren't even anywhere near him. Right. But then the one the one lady who's sitting there says, oh, is that how mirrors work? And it's like they all accepted it, you know, because because there it is. And just again, brilliant writing brilliant homage in the writing to what mm-hmm. could have been uh, a bewitched episode or an I dream of genie kind of thing. If both the husband and the wife or both the leads had powers. Um, and yeah, it's just, just fun. The piano thing. He lifts up the piano. She takes it, turns it sideways and shows that it's just a cardboard cutout. And then mustache guy says, that was my grandma's piano. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, oh, Which, yeah. so, so here's kind of where I was thinking with that. If that's the same, if it's the same character who got fired in the first episode, why did he not just play the piano instead of hiring the string quartet? So I don't know if that's the <laughs> same character. It's the same actor. 
obviously. But I don't know if it's the same character. I think it is the well, same I, character being transplanted. Yeah. I, I think it's the same character, but if you notice from episode one to episode two, there are little things that are, are very, very different. Right. Yeah, like like the the living room and their house, completely different right. furniture. Yeah. Their house is a, um, their house is a two story home in the second episode. It's a one story home in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's okay. Oh, go ahead. I was a Go ahead, Ben. Finish it. Well, I was going to say that the the living room in the second episode reminds me a lot. Of, I was trying to remember what do I see here, so I actually looked up to make sure I was on the right track. Um, I dream of Jeannie's uh, living room set. It felt like that one, um, but it, it that may not be the design that they were going after. Uh, but I thought, is this I dream of Jeannie? I looked up the, the living room set and I dream of Jeannie. It's close. It's close. I don't know if it's close enough that that's actually what they were using in the same way they used the, the Dick Van Dyke set for their inspiration in episode one. Um, but there's absolutely, there's, it feels like they took the same studio set and just added onto it and changed the furniture. But that step by the door that you had from Dick Van Dyke in episode one, gone. Mm-hmm. The, the door is now on the floor. Um, they have the staircase that goes up to an unseen upstairs and Although I guess isn't their bedroom that... was upstairs, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't. Isn't that unseen. where um, Richie Cunningham's brother went upstairs, never to and be never seen came from again? again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know uh, if that's actually what his last scene was, but I, that's the way I've heard it described for sure. So what I was trying to allude to, trying to get to, was in in these early days of television you didn't have strong character arcs like we have now right we weren't um there weren't podcasts diving into you know talking about these episodes triple the amount of time that the episodes actually aired which is where we're at right now yeah yeah. (laughs) so they'd have characters move you know they'd hire an actor and he might play three or four different characters throughout the season throughout the series right you know he might play towns guy this time he might play joe schmo getting fired that time and so to have that makes me wonder if that's what they're doing in this or if they're just i don't know you guys have to figure it out i I think that they're just getting transplanted into whatever this thing turns into next so the next door neighbor is still the next door neighbor even though it's clearly a different house and and i I think that these guys they're just neighborhood guys like these are the these are just the supporting cast this is lou ferrigno on king of queens right like he's the neighbor next door and they're going to bring him back to be the neighbor next door to keep a little bit of continuity Uh, and he has no like overarching you know story arc other than just like yeah, we, we got some jokes for him, and so let's right. bring him back. Um, it reminds me of a joke that I heard in college uh, on late-night television. I can't remember the name of the comedian. I don't even remember what the comedian looks like, but I will never forget this joke. And the guy was like, have you ever noticed that sometimes you see the same person around town, around the city, uh, like two or three times you know, over, over a couple of years? And it's like God ran out of extras for your life. And it's it was a funny joke then. I didn't deliver it funny. Okay, that was on me, it's, not on him. It's a 
it transcended your delivery, Ben. Well, thank you. Good, good. I'm glad that I did not destroy it completely. But <laughs> anytime I see somebody, like, that person, I saw them at the barber yesterday, uh, and, and now I see them across town, you know? Or I remember that person from somewhere, and it was someone that maybe I had seen, you know, at the grocery store who bumped into me or something like that, and then two months later... I I'm sitting next to them at the, at the intersection, you know? And so that's what this kind of reminds me of is just that idea of, uh, you know, there, there's just a really small cast of extras. But again, the question is, did Wanda create this world and these people were pulled in because how many people now we've had a handful of people who've looked at Wanda and have been like, what am I doing here? Uh And in the, the question takes on two different contexts. Um, well, uh, what's her name? Geraldine, I think, was her name in, in episode two uh, that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, Geraldine. Geraldine. That was, that was she, late, yes. She is on the stage with them because she was part of their act, you know, unintentionally. Um, and then she's like, well, why am I here? And you could look at it as, why am I here with you because you did that magic trick? Or it could be looked at it as, why am I here in this strange world? And... And the same kind of thing happened with Dottie, you know, and the same kind of thing happened with the lady from that 70s show, which I can't, uh, Mrs. Hart. Ah, Mrs. Hart. I remember that character name. Um, (laughs) Uh, Deborah, I think it's Deborah Jo Rupp is her, the actress's name. Is the actress's name, yeah. Yeah. Perfect casting too, by the way. Oh, yeah. Could they have gotten someone better to play that character? No. Why not? Because she's perfect. She was perfect in that 70s show. (laughs) Really? Yes, she was. (laughs) She was. Um, To play the character that she was, yeah. What? Kit, her name was Kitty, right? Yeah, the uh, character is named Kitty. Um, I just remember that the husband's name was Red. Yeah. Yeah. Kitty and Red. Though he, um, he was also the uh, the. Go ahead. I was going to say Deborah Jo Rupp. She her voice is not actually that high pitched. That's actually put on that she does actually for a lot of characters, and she's known for that. But if you ever see her in an interview, it's her voice is actually a little bit lower. But she's playing the sitcom wife yeah she she's playing the sitcom wife and so she did it sir, for so wonderfully for so many years well and that 70s show was really just saying hey we are doing the sitcom like that was very self-referential yeah. and and self-aware in in a lot of ways we're yeah. doing the 70s sitcom with what was it 90s i don't remember yeah like flair from the late late 90s flair and subversion um, before we run out of time, let's talk about for the children because for the children, can we please, I, I just, I feel like that is an important piece and it might be just for this episode because this episode was for the children in her belly. I, my, okay. In the comics world, Wanda Maximoff is the daughter of Magneto, right? Yes. Um, quick sidebar, though. There is a reference to the wizard in the opening credits of this episode. The wizard at one point was thought to be Wanda and Pietro's father. It's a golden age mm. speedster character that Marvel owned. And, and then it was later revealed that, yes, they are the children of Magneto instead. Okay, and then House of M, 
Wanda Wanda Maximoff erases all of the X-Men. Rewrites history. Rewrites history. Rewrites history so that the mutant thing never happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or there were only (sighs) 200 mutants left. What if you recast... What if you sort of MCU'd that story arc to make Wanda Maximoff the mother of mutants? I don't know if they would have to even rewrite it. Because if this is for the children, and this is a whole thing where she's just doing this so that she can have children, her children would be mutants if they came with powers, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't... I mean, what a way to introduce mutants to the MCU. What a way. Especially since they have not made any official announcement at all about X, anything except for Deadpool. Deadpool 3, R-rated movie that they have said is going to be an MCU movie. That Ben's going to hate. Yeah, but but, but then again, also in a way, Deadpool lives in his own little universe anyways. Right. So well, yeah. is, is he just going to visit the MCU? No... That's a possibility too. That's right. possible, yeah. But anyway. he'll just have to make on watch top of, of all of it, right? He breaks the fourth wall. The walls don't even apply to him. Which is why I okay, we're not doing an episode about why I, I hate know, Deadpool. Man, we will wait until Deadpool three, and then I can talk specifically about why I hate Deadpool. It is not because it'll be an R-rated MCU movie. It's because I hate Deadpool. That's because full ben, stop. Ben, period. I know why. Okay. Ben, what? Do you hate Deadpool? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So just in case uh, I was being too subtle, um, I hate Deadpool. Um, but that's not. We're not. I, I'm sorry. Did I answer your question? I, I don't remember now. Uh, anyway, they could easily bring mutants. Yes, by having Wanda have a, a child um, or children. Um, they easily could do that. And this would be really interesting. I don't know. Is this the place to introduce mutants to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I don't know. Could it go I'm opposite obvious. House of M? And instead of her saying no more mutants, she says lots of mutants. And then she just rewrites the universe. I Here's what I know. We're in the hands, and I've said this before, we're in the hands of a very good storyteller. Kevin Feige has this universe down. He knows what's happening. It's not like he's waiting to figure out, are they on an island? Are they not on an island? I don't know. They might be dead. I'm I'm talking to you, J.J. Abrams. Kevin Feige knows what he's doing. And if he has figured out a way to introduce the mutants on Disney Plus, I'm all for it. All I have to say is I'm glad that we can trust them enough to know that they aren't just saying, oh, you know, on The Mandalorian, there's a cute baby. So (laughs) episode three of WandaVision, cute baby. The baby comes out with big green ears, and you're like, what? <laughs> Mutants! That? Mutants! Yeah. Talking in broken backwards sentences? <laughs> no. 
So I do think well, that, that the children thing yeah, is, is a, obviously an important part of what we're looking at. Um, but this for the children chant that happened in this episode, I'm just really, really curious. Like, is this the kind of thing where um, it's just for this episode? This episode was for the children. Or if this is a, a much more sinister kind of thing where they've created this world and they've trapped her in it and she's written it, but she's trapped in it. And it's so that they, so some sort of strucker somebody is able to get more miracles, which is what they use that word instead of mutants way back when. In, was it, was it Avengers? The first Avengers movie? Was Ultron? Oh no! It was it was a tag scene for yeah yeah where they're talking about miracles yeah 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 it's a tag scene for the first Avengers movie no it was a tag no no it was a tag scene for Winter Soldier oh okay yeah Winter Soldier then one of his early movies um yes that's right because Winter Soldier came out before Ultron and then Ultron was (laughs) where we see them. They come out, they actually do things other than just look weird and do powers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I got that out of my my system. What do you two need to get out of your system with episode two? Episode dieu. Dieu? I've been... What's uh, that beekeeper that was coming out of the sewers? Yes! Okay, he had a, a logo on his back. And that logo on his back, I think, was supposed to look like a sword, but I'm not sure if it's supposed Uh to look like the sword logo. But I did catch it. Have you ever seen um, old pictures of old comics? Let's see if I can pull one out here. Nope, can't reach it because it's covered by boxes that are packed up. But um, and we can't see it, so that's true. But uh, Aim and Hydra are the two big bad teams. Uh, that were really up against S.H.I.E.L.D. and up against um, uh, Tony Stark and all of them. Um, AIM had costumes that looked like beekeeper costumes. So they had these weird helmets. Now, AIM has already been in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with uh, Iron Man 3. Mm. So Iron Man 3 had the guy who it's, it's advanced ideas mechanics. And so that was a uh, guy guy, guy Pierce. Pierce. Um he had the AIM t-shirt and I think he was recruited by AIM. And so that costume could be um you know referencing AIM. Um the other thing is the well, I, 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 yeah, I'll just leave it at that. That that could be what's going on there. However, it's that picture on his back, which I don't think was an AIM logo. I'm pretty sure it was a sword logo. I, okay. So, I, yeah. Samantha, I just sent you guys a picture from... Um, oh, Here's a, here's a screenshot of it. Hold on. Let me see if I can get it. Yep, that's the costume right there. You got the yellow costume with that helmet that has a visor, and the visor looks like it's actually mesh netting instead of a uh, um, like a glass kind of thing. So, so here's a 
there's a picture of the this is making for great radio by the way um there's a picture of the <laughs> of the logo on his back it looks swordy but it doesn't look the same swordy doesn't look the same sword as the one from the first episode okay you mean with the helicopter well, the um, helicopter, it does look like the helicopter one. I'm yeah. looking at pictures also. Oh, wait. The sword on the helicopter has a longer blade, and the sword on this guy's back, it does not even get past the circle. So, Ben, can you put um, these images in the, uh, in like the, on the, on the YouTube version of this? Oh. <laughs> or, I will put somehow... a, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll well, I can't promise, but I'll try. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll try. Otherwise, Google it, guys. But anyway, is it advanced idea mechanics? Could be. Is it some sort of bee-themed character? Could be. It's um, Bumblebee from Transformers. <laughs> could be. <laughs> or it could be Bumblebee oh, from Teen Titans. The the ultimate DC Marvel crossover. Yeah. Or maybe not. <laughs> so, <laughs> Let's not. Because I don't have time to go watch all of the DC shows. Oh, we are not. We are not. Okay. <laughs> so anything else from episode two? Which by... Oh, that that was the, the time thing where, like what you were saying, Samantha, um, she sees that beekeeper guy and then just is like, no. No. It, it's very just this determined. She's pulled out. She rewinds. Now, could it be that she's, are we referencing Thanos and the Infinity Stone, or are we referencing a remote control with a rewind on it? And mm -hmm. uh, do we need to do an episode of the Adam Sandler movie? Remote? No. No? 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 Are you sure? And yes. we could expand into Welcome to Level Sandler, and No. Bad, Give me a podcast. Tonight's my last night, guys. Good luck. <laughs> Look at me. I'm a podcaster. Give me some candy. <laughs> All right. That's enough of that. I think we're I think we're getting All to right. the loopy stage there, Ben. No, we might um, be. Yeah. Might be. <laughs> I have a very much a love-hate relationship with Adam Sandler. I love and hate him at the same time. It's not a Deadpool kind of situation at all. <laughs> That's just hate, hate. What if, what if Adam Sandler played Deadpool? Uh, then it would be very easy for me to hate. <laughs> because I'm already love-hate with Adam Sandler. Just pull the love out. It's, We're good to go. Ben, 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 it shouldn't be easy for you to hate. <laughs> we can talk about that later. <laughs> for right now, it's time for some listener, listener feedback. Let's do it. Okay, here we go. First of all, we have... A voicemail. Hey guys, Agent Jeffrey calling in from Missouri. Top of the first two episodes of WandaVision. Can I tell you, I'm really liking it. I don't really know what to think about it yet. It's super weird. Uh, I love that there's not any fighting. There's, I don't even know yet what the concept is, but I'm on board. Um, I like the sort of throwback style they use to build like the Thompson. Really I also love the sort of David Lynch like uneasiness that's under this idealized American, uh, you know, team. So they have the I mean, the dinner party when he's 
choking and the wife is freaking out. Or in episode two, Wanda's interaction with Dottie. Um, I just like that there's, it's not quite right. You can tell the whole time that there's something a little bit off, and I like the uneasiness that's just under the surface. So, hope you guys liked it too. Um, can't wait to hear what you guys have to say, and I will uh, hear, hope to hear from you guys in the near future. Thank you. I think that the David Lynchian reference from Agent Jeffrey, uh, I agree. And that actually is a perfect description of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. We also have a message from Agent 084 sent to us uh, through our Patreon page. And the message uh, uh, subject line is WandaVision. 101 and 102 feedback. 084 says, I really love the WandaVision premiere, and it's great that I loved it for different ways than I expected to. Of course, I was going to inhale the first Marvel Studios content in a year and a half and have rose-colored glasses, but they really delved into driving the story with style above all. The first two episodes were literally a 50s, 60s sitcom about a witch with a robot husband with campy and silly plot lines straight out of that time period, Even the special effects were decades old, and I loved it. And of course, the MCU fan in me gobbled up all the mystery sprinkled in, all those sword logos, Geraldine, Agnes, the helicopter, the radio, the color red, and of course, the guy wearing a suit that somehow looks too much like a beekeeper to be AIM. Oh, plus the Stark toaster and the Strucker Hydra wristwatch commercials. You can't take your eyes off the screen for a second. Can't wait to see how they keep the story going. Until next time, 084. I think that's a good note for us to end on. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Agent 084. And actually, thank you uh, to all of our, our Patreon patrons. Yeah, we had two messages from our Patreon patrons tonight. Um, yeah, that was uh, 084 and Jeffrey that uh, I can't find the note, but <laughs> um, here it is. Okay, yeah, so um, and our other... Patreon patrons um, are Tassel and Blessed Cheesemaker with the greatest online handle that was ever created. Um, So yeah, thank you guys very much. So yes, thank you to all of our Patreon patrons and you can go to patreon.com slash welcome to level seven if you feel like uh, you've had a good time listening to our podcast and would like to see us continue. We're not going to stop if you don't because we like doing it. So there's that. It's not a threat. Mm-hmm. We can't do it unless you become a Patreon patron. That's just not the way we roll. Um, but we do appreciate our Patreon patrons. We appreciate our listeners who write in. And we appreciate our listeners who don't write in. We appreciate all of you. Final words. Stuart, Samantha? I'm glad the MC is back. And if we only get nine episodes, I'm glad we'll get nine episodes. Um, and then we'll go into Falcon and Winter Soldier. Samantha? Yeah. I'm excited that we're actually taking a bit of a different turn. You know, last in the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we went through all the different film styles and television styles, and we're doing the same thing here. I love film and television history, so, of course, this is just a fun way to play with that style change um, and continuing the MCU. And I just want to say once again, thank you so much to everyone who's listening. Thank you so much to everyone who's stuck with us for 300-some episodes. But also thank you so much if this is your first episode. Glad to have you here. 
And for now, that is the end of this podcast episode. Flourish! for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard from us, now we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a voicemail by calling one 5 level 7 That's one 553 Or send us an email to feedback at welcome to level 7com Just don't forget, the 7 is spelled out. You can also go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback and leave us a message there or join us on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash welcometolevel7. The 7 is spelled out. And don't forget, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash welcometolevel7. The 7 is spelled out and become a Patreon supporter there. Once again, thanks so much for listening and Godspeed. That was fantastic, Ben. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I wish we could almost keep that as just our regular end for every episode. <laughs> well, I mean, this know, being a, a question for you. it's an audio medium, right? And so they can't see my arms. So if I'm going to flourish, which I did actually flourish with my arms, I don't know why. But if I'm going to flourish, I need to tell you that I'm doing it, right? So, all right, later, Samantha. Thanks. Bye, Stuart. Bye, Samantha. Bye. All right. Ready to do it? Let's talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Samantha's gone because she hasn't seen it yet, but you and I are together. And people, if you've not seen Star Trek Discovery Season 3 and you like Star Trek, Stuart, should they watch Season 3? Go. Spoiler free. Let's let's fly. (laughs) So Stuart says yes. I say yeah, sure. I mean, it depends on what kind of Star Trek fan you are. Like I said before, you know, are, are you all with all in with everything like me, except for Lower Decks? Then probably should watch it. <laughs> and like me, without the caveat of having to. I love it all. If you if you put Star Trek in front of it, the only thing I don't like is and and it's really not even that um, I did not like the new Star Trek, Two. Okay. And I only did not like that because of the way they did Benedict Cumberbatch's character. Which Other we've talked that, about, I think. Which we've talked about. Like if the, if Benedict Cumberbatch had just been one of the other people on the mm-hmm. ship with Khan, that would have been awesome. But Yeah. 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 But okay, so that's I, what I, have you seen the meme where it's young Spock contacting old Spock to ask about Khan? And and old Spock's like, what are you doing fighting Khan? And and young Spock's like, this is, it's our it's our next movie. And, and old Spock's like, we already we already fought Khan in Star Trek two. And then young Spock's like, this is our Star Trek two. And then old Spock was like, well, here let me tell you how I didn't defeat him. I didn't defeat him by contacting old me and asking for advice. Get your own Star Trek two. It was kind of funny, right? Yeah. Um. Yes. Discovery season three. I liked it. Um. I liked the idea of um having to go back and and fix things I... okay 
uh, just a warning now, we're going to step into spoiler stuff. Season three of Star Trek yeah. Discovery. If you like Star Trek Discovery up until now, it's more of the same, but it's also a little bit different because they're in a different time period that we've never been in for Star Trek before. And that's kind of cool. And there are some really cool elements in this time frame that make it different and make it a different world and, and allow them to take the story in some new ways that were kind of mm-hmm. cool. So that's that. Now we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, a little more spoilery, but not for too long. So Spoilers. 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 Go for it, man. I... The thing I like the most about it, and, I, and I've thought about this a little bit, is it's very focused on characters and connecting with other characters and listening to other characters and having the other characters who are not um, stereotypical characters on television, having them day and having them have their own storylines um i thought the character of uh what's their name i, I can't remember their name um but uh, portrayed by blue del barrio uh, that character was a very timely character and a portrayal of that character um and uh, anthony rap being you know uh, in a in a, a, a homosexual relationship with with the doctor Hugh. I mean, the, these are current situations that we're finding ourselves in. So uh, that's I really appreciated that, and I think it's a good way for Star Trek to go. Yes, Lower Decks is wonky and wacky, and it's its own little thing. And Star Trek Discovery is its own little thing. And when we get to Strange New Worlds, that's going to be its own little thing. Um, and that you can still go back and watch all of the old Star Trek. I promise you, you can. The interesting thing right now is there's so much Star Trek that is so different that you can mm-hmm. pick and choose. And in some cases, mm-hmm. you have to pick and choose because what do I want to pay for? How much time do I want to spend? Um, Lower Decks, for me, I just had to turn off my mind and say, it's not canon. Because how can they reference movies when when it's canon? Like, can you really talk about the movie? If, But that's beside the point. It's really funny. It really is very funny. Mm-hmm. Discovery is its own thing because, like you said, it is about connections. Um, it's about relationships. It's about emotions. Um and, and it's about, uh, unfortunately to me, that was the one downfall of season three was that I felt like the relationship with Burnham and the rest of the crew was repaired so quickly, too quickly. <clears throat> she did too much to earn back that friendship that she had with them in just a moment. Like she just waltzes back on the ship and everyone's like, yeah, we need to talk. But for right now, best friends. And and that bugged me. And I also, I, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I wish that they had not put her in the captain's seat at the end of this season. If they were going to put her in the captain's seat, I wish they would have done it at the beginning. I can 
I can see that. I'm actually kind of ambivalent about it. Um, I like the idea of her not being captain, but being the main character. I love that. I did. I love that idea. And now that she's captain, not again, these are writers. They have a, they know how to tell a story on a professional level that I don't. Right. But I wonder if they're going to, I wonder what the drama is going to be there because I don't ever know that she ever wanted to be captain. It's not like she was sitting there going, um, who's the main character in lower decks, right? It's not like he's doing cap. She's doing captain's logs. I don't know. No, no. But here's the thing. They spent three seasons with her bristling against authority, pushing against Uh authority. And in some cases, just to me, it just felt like she knows better than everyone. And I was trying to think through like, what would I feel the same way if it was captain Kirk? Like did captain Kirk have a similar arc where he's, he's like, pushing against everyone. And of course we only met captain Kirk when he was a captain. That's what I love about 2009 Star Trek 2009 is that he does bristle against that. He does push back against that. And he does, he doesn't want to be captain and, and only reluctantly. I mean, maybe not as reluctantly as maybe he could have, but it, it's not an easy thing for him to do. And that's kind of what we see him in Into Darkness. I just feel like they spent so much time with her, to me, disrespecting Saru's authority, disrespecting the Admiral's authority, where, okay, that's her character. That's fine, because she ends up being right about everything, except when she's not. But mostly she is. Um, But I wish they had put her in the captain's chair sooner and let her bristle against the Admiral as a captain and learn... I don't know. And we'll see what, what the arc is. It just didn't feel like a good arc to me to put her in the chair. And, and actually like, I, I didn't even feel like they were going that way. They get to the final episode and it's like, okay, Saru is going to go over there. So we need someone for the chair. It's you. And right. It just, I didn't, I didn't feel like she was wanting. I didn't feel like she even wanted the chair. You know, I, because in the beginning of the season, she's like, oh, I'm just going to fly around with Book for an, a, a year. You know, I, I don't know. I, I kind of I, I feel like it was rushed. I feel like the I, I wanted one more season of her going. Yeah, yeah I can be exactly. a captain. And then the and then the and then a dead fair the the admiral going, you're not ready yet. You're just not ready yet. Or having Saru even go, you're not ready yet. You don't know what it means. And having her have to step up and say, I am ready. I want it. Yes, I know I'm going to make all mistakes. I get it. But I want that chair. And having – because she never said that at all, yeah. ever. <laughs> uh, but she didn't have to. I mean, yeah. Hey, what else? We got to close this down. So anything else you want to talk about um, with uh, with this show? Again, it's it's – I love me some next generation. That's my, that's my wheelhouse, but this feels like a family in a way that next generation didn't, or maybe an all a much more inclusive family. This is the family that you make rather than the family you were born into. If that makes any sense. And even beyond that, this is the family like Voyager that they were forced into. 
Right. Like this, this is Voyager only with time Mm -hmm. and, and there's no way home and they've accepted that. And it's also Andromeda. It's also, um, strange new world. It's also planet earth. It's also Genesis two. Um, those are all, uh, pilots that, that Jane Roddenberry tried to get going that basically became Andromeda. And then he, I mean, that they have the quote at the end, which I think is really, that was nice. you know, yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody bristles. Oh, this isn't Roddenberry's show. I think this is really, this is, I don't know that Roddenberry had a fully fleshed out idea of what his universe was versus what his universe isn't. So for no. fans to be like, Oh, that's not what he wanted. I don't think whatever. But I do think that he would have been proud of the way this season specifically connected different types of people as represented in, as represented in different types of characters. Unless he would feel jealous because it wasn't him doing it. And now see, that's there. the part of it that we don't talk about with Roddenberry. Right. Yeah. All right. That's our episode. Talk to you later, man.